How are you guys? Good to see you. You're alive. Good. We're going to be Jonah, chapter 3. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, we're moving right along. We've got through 1 and 2, and uh, we'll get through part of 3 today. <clears throat> Hope you're enjoying this, uh, this series. Hopefully you're reading a little bit ahead, and uh, again, because it's such a short book. I don't know about your, your Bible, but my Bible, it's on two pages, a front and a back. So it's really on one page of the Bible, right? It's a short little book, but uh, very, very meaningful, very insightful. As we look at this series of Jonah, God's Scandalous Grace, we get to see more and more uh, the, the grace of God and understand more and more the character and nature of who he is. Uh, it's not so much just a book about a, a prophet who went, went astray and got swallowed by a fish, right? It's, it's more about the character and nature of God pursuing us relentlessly with his almighty, scandalous grace. So we will be in Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 6 today. And uh, just a recap of where we've been, you know, it started, the book started off with uh, get up and go, and Jonah said, no, he did not want to do that. Uh, listen, he understood, and, and this is a picture, again, not just of rebellion, but it was a picture, his response was a picture of knowing the mercy and grace of God, that, that if God called him to get up and go to Nineveh, and he did, then God, God's grace would, would follow him, God's grace would would go before him, and when he got to that city, God's grace would save the city. And, and Jonah did not want that. And last week we talked about the, the depth of how, how, how at odds Israel was with Assyria. And we talked about, and I compared them, I compared them to terrorists, to, to ISIS, right? This is a nation who continued to batter and come against Israel. And, for, and, and there was just a time, we talked about the very first sermon, there was a time right now, like a time such as this, where where. Assyria was a more under pressure than they had been before, and they kind of stopped their attack on Israel and had to regroup. And it was a perfect time for God and his grace to move into that city, to move into that nation, and to make a change. So when he called, called Jonah, he said, basically, Jonah, get up. You're going over to the Middle East, and you're going you're to go visit ISIS and be their missionary and tell them that they can receive God's grace. And, and Jonah was like, no, I, I want to push the button on the bomb. I want to wipe them out. I don't want to go talk about God's grace. So when God said go, he said no. And and you and I have to check our heart on that as well. Is God saying go in some way, whether it be prayer, or changing the motive of our heart, maybe sending uh, funds to missionary causes around the world, or maybe it, be, maybe it is that you and I, or, or I, should stand up and get a passport and go overseas somewhere. God calls us, right, and we have to respond, not with no. But he did. He said no. And God continued to pursue Jonah with his relentless, scandalous grace. He went down to Joppa. He got on a boat. He went down inside the boat, and God continued to pursue, and he hurled his grace at him in the form of a storm, didn't he? And he was wrecked. He was wrecked, and the ship was going to break apart, and he's like, I just want to die. I don't care who dies with me. I want to I die. Well, he ended up getting tossed overboard. The men on the ship came to their senses. They, they believed because of Jonah's witness. They believed in God and didn't want to hold this man's life at, at, in, in their hands, but, but God led them, said, go ahead, and they tossed him overboard. And in God's judgment... Right? The, the sea is calm, but in God's judgment, he sent a fish to swallow up Jonah. So, so Jonah just couldn't escape the easy way. He couldn't, he couldn't just die and be done. God was going to judge him and show him just how deep his sin ran. We still, we still saw pride in the prophet during that time. We saw him not really repent, but kind of be thankful that God had spared his life. He talked about the distress that he was in and that God had rescued him from that. And, and, and he just changed his mind. He said, you know what, I, 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 you're right. A divine judgment is is not what I want. I would rather have, have a pursue and follow the divine calling. So let, let's just do that instead. 
And, and that's what we're like too sometimes. We say, like, like I compare this to toddlers or teenagers even, right? Find it. I'll, Dad, I'll just do what you want me to do. I'll do it. No argument. Let's just, I'll just do it. And that's kind of where Jonah was, and it made, him, made his dad want to puke, right? So he puked him up through the fish on the, on the shore. Because pride, we said, makes God want to puke. And he still had some inside of him. But whatever the message was that God gave him, he said, you're going to go and you're going to tell, tell them the message that I want you to tell them. Whatever that message was, I think Jonah kind of thought, well, it's a message of judgment. I can't wait. That's what I've wanted to do the entire time. I want to go declare judgment on Nineveh. I want God to push the button. I want God to wipe them out. And God said, tell them the message. And the message last week we heard was 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Or 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Or 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. And for everything inside of Jonah, he, he just wrapped his heart around that message. Yes, they're going to be overthrown. They're going to be destroyed. But the translation and the, and the roots of those words not only means, means destroyed, but it also means overturned. And what God was looking for, and he didn't want destruction, that was judgment that was coming because of their sin, but what he wanted was to overthrow their heart. He wanted Nineveh to be overthrown. And we saw that the message, he went in, and whether it was begrudgingly or not, and I, and I kind of showed you the sign of Jonah, right? I talked about how the sign of Jonah was, was the same or similar to the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection. And that, that sign of Jonah, he, he, he disobeyed God in that, in, that, in that sin, it sent him downward and eventually into death and judgment, and he was in that, in that belly of the fish for three days, and then he had a resurrection. And when he showed up at Nineveh's gates, word may have been already on the street that this prophet was supposed to come, but he didn't. But he was there, very much alive. And God's grace was right there, and God's judgment and grace were right there in view as Jonah began walking the streets. It was a three-day journey to touch all the highways and byways and all the alleys of Nineveh. After one day, okay, we can say two things. Either he gave up after one day and didn't go any farther, it was enough. Or after one day, it only took one day for the whole city to turn over to God. For the whole city to say, wow, we do not want judgment. We want salvation. We want to be saved by this merciful, merciful God. This is what our city has needed. This is what our country has needed forever. And they took a breath of fresh air and said the men of Jonah believed. And today we pick up in verse 6 when word reached the king. What we're going to see is this scandalous grace comes from his throne, God's throne, to ours. And we're going to see the impact that his, his grace makes from his throne. All right? So we're in Jonah chapter 3. Let's get prayed up, and then we'll start. Let's pray. Father, we are great, grateful to be here today. God, we, we, so, we so want you to convict our hearts. God, to change us and to mold us into the, into the Son that you've sent. God, I pray as we... We look at Scripture as we read the text today, that it would be living and active. God, that our hearts would be pliable, that you would soften us by your Spirit to be receptive to the Word that you have for us today. God, there is power in your Word. May we hear it earnestly today. May we genuinely seek after you, that we might find favor with God. Teach us today. Challenge us and change us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are in verse 6 of Jonah chapter 3. Uh, and here's the deal. What, what is accomplished from the throne of grace? Well, here's the first thing. The Word. And the Word, we know, has the power to strike the heart. God is so gracious. God is so gracious to send us a message from that throne of grace, the throne that He deserves to be on. As Almighty God, He sends us His grace through the Word. 
and that word has the power to strike the heart. Let's look at verse, verse 6 of chapter 3. It says, When the word, or when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And I just want to, I just want to concentrate, really, there was, a, there was a reaction to the word, wasn't there? There was a reaction to the word. We'll look at the reaction in the next point, but the, the initial po- point of this is that the word reached the king. The word reached the king. It, and, and the text is not just some simple, like, a message got to him. It, the word reaching him actually has a connotation of it touching him, it reaching out and grabbing him. It grabbed the king. The word that reached the king was not just a post-it note message sent from his advisor. It was a post-it note message that contained the word of God that is living and active. That could, that could change everything. You see, the word of God, it was a word, the same word that came to Jonah. The word of the Lord was passed then through Jonah to the people and eventually hit the king. It was not someone else's word. It was not a, a memo. It was not a summary. It was the word of God that cut him to the core. And that's what's being communicated to the king, the word of God. The Lord caused his word than to appropriately wreck the king. It wrecked this king. And see, I, I know that the word of God goes out and, and, and it goes and falls where it might and, and it falls on some rocky soil sometimes or, and sometimes it falls on fertile soil. And, and we understand that the word has the power to wreck us and sometimes it, it does not do what we hoped it would do. But the, the word says it does exactly what God intended it to do. And see, God's word is powerful in that. How many of us have been wrecked by God's word? You know, initially you heard the gospel, the story of salvation through Jesus Christ. You heard that you were separated from God and you knew because of your sin that you could never earn any any favor with God. And God's word penetrated your heart and wrecked you. It was like he took a knife and jabbed it in and it twisted and you were cut to the core because of God's word. We've been wrecked by God's word. And it's, it's not just a one-time thing, is it? Oh, how many days have I, have I been in the word that I, I end that time, that devotion, weeping over my own sin, weeping over what God is trying to teach me. God's word is continually living and active, and it cuts to the core. And in it and by it, we are being renewed. God is doing something. I'm going to flip over to Hebrews if you want to turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 4. I go there. I can quote it, and, and I know you could quote it too, but I, I want us to look at it. I want us to read it out of his word. Maybe you need to underline it or circle it or make a note of where it is, put a little bookmark there. Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're turning. Hebrews 4, and we'll, we'll begin at verse 12 and read 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It is a judge of the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word is intended to change us. God's word is intended to expose us. 
that we would stand naked and bare before him. There is no secret in our heart. There is nothing that we can withhold from God or God's word. God's word has the power to cut us to the core. And it will cut us to the core. But you and I now have a choice of how we're going to respond to that word. It is so much more than a post-it note, isn't it? It's so much more than a post-it note. It is the living, breathing word of God. And it struck the king, it physically reached out and grabbed him like he was in a boxing match with God's word and his heart was defenseless. It impacted him. And that's the case when the word strikes our heart. It impacts us dramatically and leads us to a vulnerability and an awe-filled submission that we could not go anywhere else. There's no answer. There's no argument that would stand up against what God is teaching us through his word. It's only through the word. That leads us to number two. In humility, we set aside our own authority. See, by the power of God's throne and his grace, and through the grace of God at his throne, we are able to set aside our own authority in humility. Let's, let's read verse six again in Jonah chapter three. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, what happened? It says he got up, Right? He got up uh, from his throne, he took off his royal robe, he put on sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. See, the word of God that he had heard cut him to the core, and the king responded with appropriate repentance, saying, I'm going to lay aside my authority because there's authority that is larger than me. And it's not the same response that we saw from the king of, or the pharaoh in Egypt when, when, when Moses was trying to go and get, let his people go, let my people go. And he said, Yahweh is going to send some curses. See, the word of the Lord was still there, but, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It was not open to receive a message from the, from the Lord. And what Pharaoh said is, who is Yahweh that I should obey him? Who is this God you speak of? That is not the response from the king of Nineveh. The king of Nineveh, th- this is what the king of Nineveh did. Notice his, the verbs here in this phrase. It said what? The king got up from his throne. And later on it says he sat down in ashes. So there's a getting up and a sitting down. And what this entails for you and I, this repentance, what this looks like, is we get up off our own throne. We get up off our own selfishness or self-centered life. We say, you know what, I'm I'm done with that. I'm not going to be the ruler anymore. I'm going to dethrone myself. I get up from my throne and I sit down in the heap of ashes because that's the humility I deserve. I am nothing compared to the all-surpassing greatness of God. And I deserve nothing. But this all-surpassing great God is pursuing me with scandalous grace and allowing me to sit before his throne of grace, even in ashes, knowing that I don't deserve it. And see, there's a boldness that comes, isn't there? We see that in Scripture. That we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. But see, the king understood that there was a throne that was not his own. And I think it's hard for you and I to say that sometimes. Like, this, this throne that I'm on, oh, it's, it's mine. No, it's not yours. There is a throne that is not yours. Right? There is a king whose reign was more legitimate. And there's a king whose reign is more legitimate for us as well. We are not the rulers of our lives. And this king had an authority that stretched far-reaching. In fact, his throne of grace was a grace that extended to hearts who would, who would turn to him and believe. 
and then we could approach him with confidence, knowing and trusting in his accomplishments, not in our own accomplishments. But it took understanding the depth of wickedness. And see, the king understood that, and we'll see that in the next point as well, when he makes this decree to the, to the people. See, the king knew, as soon as the, the word cut him to the core, he knew as he stood side by side, comparing himself to God, that he was empty, that he was worthless, that everything inside of him stunk. And all he could see now is in view was the sweetness of the grace of the throne of God. And he knew he had to repent. He knew he had to, to bow before someone besides his self. Listen, when we are eyeball to eyeball with our own depravity, because of the word, when the word illuminates our own depravity, when it shows us how wicked and, and sinful we really are, then the throne of God's grace is much sweeter than any throne of our own. The throne of God's grace is where we find our rest. So the king humbles himself. And he puts away any pretense of his own self-importance. There was only one authority that was worthy of bowing down to. Amen? And that was God. You see, and before God... Our thrones and our robes are not impressive. They don't impress God. Number three, the next thing that happens is that by grace, we turn our hearts towards God in faith. We turn our hearts towards God in faith. Going back to the text, we look at verses 7 and 8. Then he, that is the king, issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence that he is doing. There was a call to humility here. This is a call to humble themselves and turn their hearts to God. Now, I want us to, to get the picture here. Because we can get very traditional and very legalistic in some ways where, where if I do certain things, then God would just be pleased with me. And that's not the case at all. See, these certain things were, were to be a symbol, an outpouring, a response from the condition and change in our heart. The king could have issued a decree that said, no one should eat, everyone should cover themselves, go sit in a pile of ashes and just God will be favorable in that. But that's not what he said. He said, yes, that's what we're going to do. But you need to call out earnestly because you need to acknowledge your ways and, and see that you are wicked and evil too. And you need to abandon the wickedness and evil that's in your heart. And see, that's not something that's just done by putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes or fasting. Evil is not just abandoned, is it? We can look like we've abandoned evil and not ever abandon evil. And that's why grace is such a scandalous gift from God. Because his grace is what allows us to abandon the evil and wickedness in our own heart and life and turn our hope to him and turn our faith to him. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's a, it's a well-known verse. It, here's what it says. It says, for you are saved by what? By grace, through faith. It is not from yourselves. It's not from your tradition. It's not from your rules. It's not from looking the right part or feeling like you, you outwardly everything is, is okay. It is a gift, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. And what I want us to understand in the scripture and the way the sentence structure is built is that we are saved by grace through faith and that both grace and faith are gifts from God. 
that he gives us the grace necessary to humble our hearts and humble our hearts and empty ourselves before him to humble ourselves before him and he gives us the faith necessary to believe and trust in him alone to abandon what we had set up as the as the goal as what we had set up as the as the course as what we had set up as right he says abandon that dethrone yourself i'm going to give you grace i'm going to give you the faith necessary to abandon those things and turn to me in faith, that you would believe the gospel and you would be saved because of me, not because of something that you have done. See, the faith we exhibit must be a faith that's from the heart after being totally wrecked by God's word, amen? It cuts to the core. The king asked the people of Nineveh to humble themselves and to earnestly call out to God. Like, this is your opportunity now. And we know that the entire city, not not everyone had a genuine repentance, right? But we, what he said, you need to get right. You need to humble yourself and be genuine right now. This is not about checking off a list and doing all the right things. This is about abandoning you and turning to God earnestly from the heart. They were to turn from their wicked ways and they were to seek the Lord in faith. And the problem is always the heart. No ritual, no, no legalism, no superstitious religion can save us they're all based on performance and they're based on our performance god's salvation is based on his performance listen you can do the external without having an internal change you can do the external things without having an internal change we can hide from others we can show like we're we're straight and narrow but god knows the heart and the external for a true follower of christ someone that's genuinely seeking the lord The external comes because of the internal. And it may look very similar or identical to those who just have the external. But God wants your heart. God wants my heart. It'll be evident as a response to God's grace. But here's what repentance looks like. If we wanted to break it down in just like four, four parts, here's what repentance looks like. First off, you're wrecked by God. God confronts you in some way by the power of his word and you are wrecked to the core, cut in the heart by God. And then what happens? Well, we mourn over our sin. We understand the depth of the depravity that's within us and we are, we are mourning over that. We see, we see this, also this progression in Matthew as, as we look at the Beatitudes. The first, the first half of them are the salvation story of how someone comes to faith. Right, blessed are those who mourn. We mourn over our sin. And then we turn away from our sin. We forsake that. Say that I'm getting up from my throne and I'm, I'm letting God be on the throne now. I'm turning from something to something else. And then that next part is that we turn to something else we turn to is God. Right? We turn to God in faith. And that's the, the final step. We believe that he is the one that is most satisfying, that he is the one that will, will change and can, can change everything. You see, some of us have this repentance story. We, we're wrecked by God's word. We're wrecked. God just humbles us and breaks us and we weep. And, and we mourn over this. We mourn over this. And then we say, I'm turning from that sin because I am wrecked because of that sin. And we turn from that sin. And you know what we do? We turn to something else. We turn to another sin. We turn to another idol. We let our lives be filled with something that's not filling, something that's not satisfying, something that's not God. All those other things are substandard compared to the sweetness of God's throne of grace. If we are to truly repent, 
We, we mourn over our sin and we turn from that sin and we turn to God because he is the most satisfying. Stop running away from God. If you're turning from sin and turning to something else besides God, you're still on your throne. You're still in your sin. And God still has to wreck you. You know, amazing, I, I was, I can't, I'm not going to share the depth of this. I've, I've talked to a couple people, but sometimes I, I wonder how effective Sunday mornings are. And, you know, I, I, last week on Monday, I, I met with somebody who, who planned to take their life after church on the Sunday before. And, and just, it broke me and humbled me to how powerful God's word is because nothing in me caused that to win, right? To be a win. Only by the power of God's word and by the praises of his people will hearts be changed. So I want you to know, come here seeking that. You are not just a butt in a seat. We are here to hear from God and to leave healed from the brokenness that you walked in the door with, to be challenged for the sin that you walked in the door with, that you and I would leave here renewed by God because he is the most satisfying person we could ever go to. Only he satisfies. And listen, I, I would love, you're, you guys, we need to know what God's word is doing in our lives. I would love for you to, to send a note, shoot a note, or, or shoot, shoot me an email, let me know, say, this is what God's doing in my life. Because of our praises, because of the word of God, this is what God is doing in my life. We need to know that so we can be excited about the power of God in and amongst us and be praying that God's power would continue to be evident here every week. And that he, as, he, as we leave, that he would still be in our hearts and on our hearts and our minds as we go to his word. So whether it's on Sunday morning or a personal devotional, send me, send me that. Let me know, what is God doing? And I know it's hard. You know, we get that vulnerable place and exposed. It's not hard to come tell someone that I was planning to do this after Sunday morning service. But we have to be wrecked of our sin, right, in order to, to really cherish the sweetness of God's grace and have victory over those sins. So if you've had victory and you want to celebrate that, and you want us to be able to celebrate that. I'm not going to share every story with people, but, and I wouldn't ever share something without permission. But I'd love to hear how, what God's doing so we might rejoice with you. God's going to wreck us so we can be pointed to him, not to something else. <clears throat> Number four. What, we, what do we see happening from the throne of grace? Well, hope prevails in our souls. Hope prevails in our souls. Now, I want us to see this, this reaction from the king of Nineveh, who was an Assyrian citizen, who didn't really understand or know much about Yahweh. Didn't understand the promises and the hope that was really in there. So th his reaction is going to seem a little, a little shaky. All right, Let's look at verse 9 of, of chapter 3. He says, he told him to do this, and look, watch out for your evil ways, and turn from the violence that you're doing. And in verse 10, 9, he says, Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. He asks that question, doesn't he? Who knows? Maybe it'll work. Maybe, I, I, what he's saying is, who knows? I sure hope it'll work. 
You see, there's a hope in his heart. There's a hope there that he's trying to cling on to, but he doesn't understand God fully, does he? It's shaky. But that was his past. It was a shaky past because that's how he'd grown. That's how he'd been raised and grown up. That's how he ruled. It was just shaky. It was always idols. It was always conquering. It was always sin. So he didn't understand the, the solid foundation that is in his God and God and Yahweh. He was trusting and hoping in unstable things. But we don't do that today, do we? We don't trust and hope in unstable things. The king is unsure of what's going to happen next, but his great and final hope is that God will see the genuineness of their repentance. Not, he not see what they have exactly done and the list they have checked off, but that God would see the genuineness of their repentance and he would spare them from his final judgment. And you and I don't have to wonder, do we? We don't have to ask, who knows? Maybe there's, maybe there's hope in God. Who knows? God knows. And listen, at that time, Jonah knew, didn't he? He knew there was hope in God. That's why he said no. That's why he ran away. Jonah knew there was hope in God. See, even then, not, not just today because of Jesus afterwards, but then because of Jesus ahead of time. It pointed to the redemption of the Messiah, that God would redeem his people by grace when the genuineness of their heart repented and turned to him. That's, that's what God was doing. And there is a sure hope, and Jonah knew this, and, and others who had gone before Jonah knew this, and others who have gone before you and I know this hope. And today, if you're here and you don't know this help, hope, and you're like, I, I just don't know, who knows? We do. God does. Jonah does. The king of Nineveh now does. Look around and ask those who seem to have hope, why do you have the hope that you have? And as Christians, you and I were exhorted that we would be ready in season and out of season to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within us. Because this hope, Scripture says, is an anchor for our souls. It is not shaky, shifty ground. It is something that we can cling on to and hold on to forever for our lives. See, Jesus lived and died in perfect obedience to the Father. He bore our sins upon himself. And because of what he accomplished through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, you and I can approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, and receive mercy and help in our time of need. And that mercy and help that we receive also gives us a hope that will prevail. Hope prevails and it is the anchor for our soul. I, I hope that your hope helps others hope in God. Because the hope that we have in Christ is not shifty. We don't have to wonder. This king sure hoped, and he, I think he hoped with the genuineness of his heart. And I, I, am, I am putting all my hope right here, and I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm gonna, who knows? I'm going to put all my hope right here. And it was genuinely placed there. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. It says, Brandon says it, the word says it, the people around me say it, but I don't, I'm just going to try it. I'll, I'm going to try. I'll put all my hope in Jesus Christ. I'm going to believe. Watch what happens next. Hope will prevail in your souls from the mercy seat of Jesus Christ. Amen? How many of you have hope today because of Jesus? Right? Hope reigns. Why? Well, that's number five. Because God's wrath is satisfied. God's wrath is satisfied. Look at verse 10. God saw their actions 
that they had turned from their evil ways. And I want you to, we've, we've been talking about actions. It's not about actions. It's not about actions. God saw their actions. And the next phrase, that they had turned from their evil ways. They saw the actions were a response from genuineness of the heart, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster that he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. The truth is that disaster that God is bringing down upon us is due to each one of us. We are all owed this disaster. But thank God that the wrath of God, the disaster of God, was placed on Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen? That we don't have to have the disaster because God is relenting because he placed it on Jesus. That if you and I would turn our hearts from ourselves to God and we would believe that our hope is only in him, we would be saved. That we would be redeemed. That the disaster would be averted and he would relent. That we would let the blood and the provision that Jesus made for us be our payment before God. God's wrath is satisfied. My hope today is that, that you would turn your heart from you, that you would get up from your throne, that you would sit down in humility, exposed before God, that you would take off your robe, your authority, and, you, and take off your pride, and you would place on you the righteousness of Christ that was established at the cross that we would believe and we would approach the throne of grace with confidence. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, we are, we are grateful to you that your word is so powerful, that it is living and that it is active, that it really does judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. God, I ask that even now you would be wrecking us because of your word. You would challenge us. You would cut us to the core. God, when, when you get done with us, God, may we feel bruised and, and shaken and battered because of the power of your word. And God, you don't want to leave us that way. You've given us a hope that will prevail in our hearts. May we turn to you and noth nothing else. God, Help us not set aside one idol for another idol. God, help us set aside our sin and our idolatry for you because you are most satisfying to us. We thank you for that. We trust that you will continue to be the hope and the anchor for our souls. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.